Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Thomas, or Tuma, the CEO of Ecotree. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. You have a very inspiring story, uh, and I, I love your T-shirt just to create some suspense and some curiosity uh, for the ones who are watching on YouTube. May the forest be with you, uh, Eco Tree, and one of your forests uh, that you will explain later what I'm talking about uh, behind you. It seems that you are <laughs> a rich guy with a lot of forests across the world, <laughs> and you are... Uh, you are you are helping nature to um, to have a, a great life in in planet Earth. Yeah. And, and in, case you have, in, in, in case in case you haven't noticed, we're going to talk about forest uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and and climate tech. But before climate going tech. there, let's start by understanding a little bit more of, of your uh, background. You are very international. Uh, background, different positions. You had your uh, own companies uh, as well. You've been professional CEO and now leading uh, Ecotree as, as a founder and, and CEO uh, in the climate tech space. So, but let us know more about you, Thomas. Yeah, well, um, as you said, I'm, I'm, I'm very European in a way because I'm half French, half Austrian. I grew up in Paris, but uh, my mother was from Vienna in Austria. So I, uh, I grew up in, in a French-German environment, you could say. And now after a few years here and there, I've been settled down, uh, settling down in Denmark. So I'm Danish by adoption now, in a way you could say. So yeah, I'm sort of a, a combination of those different cultures now. Um, I'm 45. Um, I have three very nice kids, and um, and indeed, I've, I've, so I started with a with a uh, yeah quite classic both political science and economical background through my studies. Um, quite originally, I started my career by just taking a year off <laughs> and and traveling the world for one year. Uh, I'm a big ski and mountain fan, so together with my brother and our best friend, we uh, decided to go you know travel the world to ski in the best places uh, around the globe for like a year and, and that was definitely a fantastic uh, adventure and somehow i think i can say that more, part at least of my you know passion for nature uh, comes from that experience of being out there and and you know living the outdoor life for, for a while um but then i needed still to <laughs> sort of make a living um and so i i've been basically an entrepreneur through, throughout my whole career um and um, Ecotree, we'll get into uh, into that now, but it is, is sort of my third main venture, I could say. I, mm -hmm. To give you sort of a, um, a little retrospective and to understand what, what I've been through and where I, where I come from, I, I started actually initially with a sourcing and trading business in China, in Hong Kong, uh, where I also lived a couple of years. Um, where basically I was like sourcing and, and trading different type of commodities produced right. in Asia for for typically European uh, companies. Not a hundred percent environmental friendly, if I look back, very honestly. Um, then again, it was in the early two thousand, and I think the focus back then, at least, it was for me and my team, was on the on the social conditions and the social mm -hmm. impact that you know producing outsourcing um, in, in emerging countries was was having was not that much yet uh, focus on the environment. Um, and then after, yeah, after a few successful years, I moved on, we moved to Switzerland. 
Switzerland. My wife is a Danish diplomat, so she got a position in Geneva. So we moved in uh, to Switzerland. Then I, I, I took over together with some investors, uh, a tech uh, firm, uh, sort of a spin-off from the the, the Polytechnic School of uh, Lausanne. Um, a bit more environmental friendly that way because it was actually uh, a sort of remote. It was within the IoT, the Internet of Things, and it was a sort of remote sensing solution for for energy consumptions for buildings, houses, etc. So already there was, I think, was a little switch to to work getting closer. Exactly, <laughs> more environmental friendly uh, solutions. Um, and after that turn that, that turned around, um, I joined my friends and partners at at Ecotree. Um, so where I think actually ultimately I managed to combine my passion for nature, as I said, uh, and for entrepreneurship. That is uh, a great story, and you have been in China when it was really the the boom, and a lot of courage also to to move to China. I assume uh, at a time where it was difficult to survive if you were not able to speak a little bit of Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, it was quite well. It was exciting. I would say more than challenging. Uh, it was definitely exciting. Also, I was in my you know early twenties, uh, so you know oh, you had this great. mindset that that sky is the limit. You're not afraid of making mistakes, and uh, I did awesome. quite a lot. I had my bunch of mistakes, obviously, um, uh, but it was fascinating. Uh, just you know, exposing yourself to different culture, uh, different ways of working, and indeed trying to 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 leverage uh, an obvious boom, right? In in that in, in that country, we've seen seen the rise of China and, and Asia globally. So it was quite exciting and fantastic to to witness that and somehow to be part of that. Absolutely, that, that sounds fantastic. And uh, we know that climate tech is super important nowadays, given the huge problems that we all are facing uh, as a society and as, as, as the world. Um, and, and for the ones uh, who might be thinking that you are quite early stage, you are already uh, post Series B. So where are you in terms of stage of growth with uh, Ecotree? Yeah, we are, we're more like a, a, a scale-up than a global startup, to be to be uh, to be precise. Um, we started in 2016, right? So we're in our seventh, eighth year in our operations. Um, we started uh, in France, our historical and domestic market, back in end of twenty end of 2019, uh, beginning of 2020. Um, in the middle of COVID, we decided to uh, to uh, you know start an international expansion, at least on the right. European market. So now we are aiming to become sort of you know, the, the number one provider of what we call the nature based solution in Europe. So mm -hmm. we have now, um, well, well, of course, obviously we'll discuss more about our model and all that. But in terms of where we are now in our in our startup journey, we are indeed um, around a hundred teammates throughout yeah, three offices, France and Denmark. Um, we are indeed a post-Series B. We've been um, uh, lucky and smart, I think, to, to, to start the Series B round uh, earlier, mid of last year. Um, um, nice. And for, yeah, and we had a basically after a seed round when we started, we had a Series A round for roughly 3 million euros uh, in end of 2019 basically for the launch of our international go-to-market. And so, yeah, mid last year, we had a Series B for roughly 20 million euros with our existing and also new investors. Sounds fantastic. So and, and let's give a step back to understand a little bit more the product, the business model, the vision, and how Ecotree is really having an impact in the world. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say... It, it all started with a, with a sort of a frustration 
which was that um, we talk about sustainability and environmental friendliness very much, but we, at the end of the day, achieve pretty little. Um, so first, the challenge was like how the frustration was how to convert, uh, how to turn um, all those you know this awareness that finally we had the world has today when it comes to the environmental crisis and, and turn that into you know concrete and immediate action right how to close that gap um and we realized that one of the ways to do that beside you know having local initiatives highly qualitative initiatives obviously mm-hmm. one of the best trigger we had at hand was actually using financial incentive uh, to get more companies and individuals, because we literally want everyone to do something. Um, right. We thought that the financial incentive was the best way to get all, all everyone en- engaged, basically. Mm-hmm. With this regard, we actually got inspired by the the Scandinavian recycling system for used cans and bottles, um, which is very advanced in Denmark, in Sweden, in Germany. Um, and we realized that this uh, it's a perfect way to actually monetize the act of recycling. And the countries with an advanced recycling system like this one, where you basically, for those who are not familiar with this, you pay right. a sort of little deposit when you purchase your beer or Coca-Cola or bottle of water. Um, and then you get actually that little deposit back when you return it for proper recycling, mm-hmm. right? And we realized that com- the countries with such an advanced system have above 90, an average 90 to 95% return. While mm-hmm. companies without system, like France, where I come from, I think roughly below 50% or something. So, and that's really what hit our mind when we realized that actually a little financial incentive, right, can uh, well, well, can trigger a tremendously right. different environmental friendly behavior. And we decided to apply that proven method of financial incentive to tree planting and sustainable forestry. So we basically managed, took a, you know, quite some uh, time to and, and, and legal and financial uh, you know, expertise to build this model up, but we've managed to basically make it possible for anyone, again, individuals or firms, to buy newly planted trees from our forest, get all the obvious, you know, tangible environment benefit that sustainable forestry can deliver, mm-hmm. but also that little perspective of a financial gain on the long run. Because the way it works, pretty simple. You own the trees, you become what we call the tree owner. So you're not sponsoring, right? We're moving away from the classic philanthropic donation model. You actually own the tree, your tree owner, whether it's one tree, hundreds or thousands of trees. You own them. And um, yeah, so when the, we, it's our team, obviously, of forestry experts who take care of those trees throughout the life cycle. And once they reach maturity, we selectively cut and harvest them, right? We never do clear mm-hmm. cuts, obviously, mm-hmm. but we, uh, this would be quite unsustainable. So we do selective thinnings, as it's called. And once your trees are harvested, we hand over 100% of that revenue to you, the tree owner, right? It's your tree, it's your timber, so it's your okay. revenue. Um, so it's it's obviously long-term. Uh, we all know that trees take time or need time to grow, um, but when they do, well, they deliver and have a real commercial value. So you will ultimately more than double your initial investment. It's roughly uh, 2% financial gain per year that you can expect from owning a tree and owning the, the corresponding timber. So. Well, it, it is indeed long term, but yeah, it's not too bad for for doing the planet and ourselves a favor, right? Right, and I I think there is there an IP, right? So I think it's quite interesting what you just mentioned about uh, the way recycling works in the Nordics. By the way, for the ones who are listening to get better context, Thomas, as, as you said, you are uh, half French, half Austri- uh, Austrian, 
Austri Austrian, Austrian, sorry. Austrian. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, and you are based in in Copenhagen uh, nowadays, as, as you are married to a Danish uh, diplomat. So I think that there is there a, a very interesting IP that you were able to convert uh, into into your business model and to also reward the ones who are doing good for nature to also have a kind of a return on investment that it will not be the main purpose uh, to to invest on the trees, but at least you feel that uh, you also get a, a little bit of ROI making the difference, right? Yeah, you're right. And and obviously, I mean, our primary, our customer's primary motivation is not uh, to make money. Well, they are, they are quicker or, you know, yeah, smarter way to make money uh, these, these days. Um, so the, the primary motivation of our customers is uh, environmentally environmental but again it, it still makes a bit slightly more sense for them to to do it with us with this financial perspective as financial gain perspective on top of it rather than money out of the window even though it's a, a green window you could say right and and how it works in terms of do you serve more uh, b2c more b2b um so how does that work yeah well Ultimately, as I said, right, by trying to fill this gap between you know awareness, good intentions, and action, yeah. we, we really want to attract everyone on board. Obviously, that's how we're going to get the biggest impact. Um, this being said, um, it's been actually um, um, yeah, we, we're addressing both segment, right, B two B and B two C, you could say. Um, and interestingly enough, it's it's been fluctuating a bit. Um, Quite transparently, honestly, at the very beginning, we wanted to start with companies and didn't really work out. I think maybe we've been after the big ones uh, while we were like uh, almost a non-existing little startup with, yeah, well, maybe a good idea, but no real track record yet and all that. So we're not really convincing. Um, but then we had uh, in France a sort of a media exposure through a few, a few actually media and TV interviews because our model, our model was like well, quite original. Um, and that certainly triggered uh, quite a strong traction on, on the B2C segment, right? Um, where we saw a lot of individuals actually starting to get trees and buying trees from us. So we said, okay, well, that, that actually works. So let, let's, you know, pivot in a way. Right. And let's definitely put more eggs into that basket. Right. Um, so we developed the B2C segment and then, and also then um, the small and, and small and medium sized companies. Um, and I think that has proven to be uh, pretty efficient uh, because that's how we managed, you know, to generate a, a steady revenue stream. Um, and that's also what has built our credibility and our brand awareness, uh, which after a couple of years has has made it quite more natural and much more successful to address the bigger firms and the bigger co corporate companies. Mm -hmm. um, and now today, just to give you an, an idea, we have roughly 60,000 individuals, uh, customers, Incredible. and close to 1,300 uh, companies, literally from SMEs to, to you know, multinationals. Incredible, the, the power of PR, of a great story, of uh, people wanting to be part of a movement and then coming a movement of inbound. And after that, I, I like the way you explained to me also the dynamics. So how individuals then will also promote initiative across companies and kind of bring companies to the equation and vice versa. How some decision makers uh, that will bring this solution to companies will also, people will also want to be part uh, of the movement individually, not as, as part of, not only as part of the company. 
Yeah, absolutely. You said it. And, and well, even though today, uh, uh, like roughly 80% of our revenue comes actually now from the B2B segment. So it, it is yeah. definitely stronger and, and it's going to remain so, to, uh, we believe, over the next couple of years. This being said, we indeed like this. I think the technique, you know, in, in the jargon is called B2B to C or B2C to B, meaning right. that indeed, yeah, when, whenever we deal, we deal with a company, well, then all the employees within that company are very likely to become individual uh, customers. Right. Uh, similarly, when, when we have individuals, you know, engaging with us, well, we often see that they somehow they report that to their employer, to their managers, and, and then that company becomes a, a corporate client. So we like that kind of natural synergies. Again, our aim is to have everyone on board. So however, which angle we we, we enter, uh, it, it all works out ultimately. And in terms of difference, is, is there any difference in terms of the kind of the pricing or the product or the business model that you kind of present to companies and the ones you present to individuals? Or? No, not really. Uh, so it's maybe the, the type of, or the, yeah, the, the type of engagement, like the two main offerings that work best for individuals is the, the gift, uh, the gifting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you okay. buy a tree and then you can give it to, you know, your nephew for a birthday, a baptism or nice. whatever a celebration you want to, uh, yeah. to, you know, to, 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 greenify uh, it's kind of the perfect sustainable and meaningful and 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 yeah. surprising uh, gift these days so that works pretty i sweetly. love the creativity that's very original definitely it will make an impact nobody will forget that you gave them uh, a tree for yeah and and, and, li and like most of the gifts that you know uh, take some dust and end up in the trash uh, this one will actually gain value and and thrive right so um that's that works pretty well and then we even have this subscription model where you mm -hmm. can uh decide how many trees you want to invest in on a, on a monthly basis and off you go you know building your little forest uh, your little own forest uh, month after month so those are maybe the two main offerings the two most popular offerings on the b2c side and for companies we have um well the, the tree gear the corporate gift works as well pretty much you know replacing uh mugs uh or chocolate box <laughs> by by trees is also uh, quite uh quite popular these days um we have the whole customer incentive or you know customer loyalty engagement uh, traction where you use basically the engagement power of trees to, to encourage certain behavior. If you want your customers to go paperless, you know, for example, well, you reward them by offering them trees or by planting trees. I mean, all that is also pretty strong. And last but not least, especially these days where there's a lot of focus about carbon sequestration, we're also able to develop, so to issue carbon removal credits, which are, yeah, well, the European based, highly qualitative because again our projects uh, deliver a lot of environmental positive impact and well again they sort of pay for themselves because they will ultimately generate a revenue stream so um, you ultimately get paid for sequestering carbon after all <laughs> yeah. that's, so that's, that's those are the sort of the main drivers and then of course again because we tried really to have the most positive impact possible on, on natural ecosystems we have also a high strong focus on biodiversity Mm -hmm. Right, it's not just about optimizing carbon sequestration. Trees and forests are really good in that. Obviously, forests are the second largest carbon sink on Earth after the oceans, but more actionable than oceans. Um, right. But it is for us. It's also about uh, restoring and preserving biodiversity. So we have a lot of local uh, initiatives to, again, yeah, enhance and and strengthen and and restore and preserve biodiversity. And a lot of our customers also engage in in sponsoring these type of. Uh, of uh, initiatives right 
we we were joking a bit that uh, we we don't know anymore how to classify your company because it's kind of climate tech, impact tech, uh, fintech as well because there is kind of investment part of 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 the business model, um, and and then there is the this display of if this is a a tech company or a tech enabled company as you need uh, also in terms of. Uh, expectations there is a, a need uh, in terms of speed of growth you need to buy land and you need to or, or to rent land uh, can you can you explain a little bit more how it works and uh, yeah how can you make it scalable and how it differs from the pure tech uh, super scalable uh, company yes you're right <laughs> we're sometimes struggling in defining which sort of tech it is i like to joke about the fact that well ultimately we're using mother nature's tech right okay. uh, photosynthesis <laughs> uh, and that that is four and a half billion years of free R&D uh, research and development that we that we're using <laughs> exactly. um, so and with um, very so, innovative solutions I must say so you just gave a couple of or uh, more than a couple of examples of, of a way how to make mother nature very sexy for the consumer <laughs> yeah indeed so so that's our main tech I'd love to say but this okay. being said the way we use tech is to try to um you know, tech is good in connecting uh, things or people, right, basically. And when you connect, you care. So when you come to the environmental uh, actions, I think using tech is, is quite a, something that can have actually a very, a very positive impact. So the way we use tech is by digitalizing the, you know, the, the, the experience of being a tree owner, geolocalizing new trees. Um, we've made a, we're testing a lot of, of, of uh, you know, technical features. For example, we have made a, a pretty popular replica of the famous Google, feed, Google Street View feature, right? We call it Forest View, where exactly like on Street View, you can you know, oh, make a awesome. sort of a 360 degree screen Screen-on-tree. and you can double click and jump 20 meters ahead in the forest. And, and here's a tree, you can click on it, you get a pop-up about what type of tree it is. So this type of thing, we're also testing, you know, uh, sort of insect radar to monitor the flight, the, the, the traffic of pollinizator, because they are also vital for, for, for nature and ecosystems. We are using, we're about to use like satellite and drone imagery to monitor the growth of biomass and the, and the corresponding carbon sequestration from trees. So, you know, we, we try to use tech whenever relevant. Um, so in that sense, we are a tech company but as you as you implied we are not this being said we don't have necessarily the scalability of a pure SaaS model um if we are a SaaS model then we have sustainability uh, as a service <laughs> um, um, so we, we don't have that scalability of you know just plugging a few more more servers and and taking in ten thousand more customers overnight because ultimately i mean our operations are on the ground on the, on the field we need to acquire land um because we haven't been uh, yet specific on that, but the way we yeah. make it possible for anyone to buy, you know, one tree by the unit, is to is using a sort of a legal distinction between the ground ownership and the so-called surface ownership. And mm-hmm. even though trees are obviously rooted in the ground, they are part of the surface ownership, meaning that we typically own the land or third parties own the land and we sell the trees as part of the surface. And that enables us to sell trees by unit with VAT and one invoice, basically. Um, While before that, before model, uh, 
trees and forests have always been a, a fairly attractive class of asset, mm -hmm. but it was a real estate investment, basically. So, you know, with all the, the, the very capital intensive, long transaction, and it, it was reserved, it was a niche, you could say. And you do have a lot of have wealthy old families or well-established large companies that actually do own forest as an asset, but the entry, the entry ticket was super high. What we've made basically now in a few clicks, as low as 15 euros, uh, you can actually now start buying one tree by the unit. And that legal mechanism behind, actually, it's not much, not such an innovation because actually we've been digging out an old article from the from the French civil code back in 1855. So here again, you don't you wow. can be creative without necessarily reinventing the wheel. Uh, I think this is something we've learned and we've tried to apply to ourselves. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it works, right? So ultimately, to come back to your question, well, whatever the tech we're using, that is still a reality. We need land, we need to plant those trees, we need to care for them over years and years and years. So yeah, that makes the scalability not the same as, as a classic fintech basically could, could offer, could deliver. Right. And you, you need always to buy the land or is there any other way of being able to use the land without without buying it? Uh, yeah, um, well, most, most of the time so far, we have roughly 50 projects uh, in Europe, okay. um, planted one and a half million trees so far, roughly. In most of the cases, we actually do own, own the land. Right, yeah. um, but in order to scale, well, because it is capital intensive, and and there are some opportunities that we can't, we cannot always get our hands on. Um, we've developed a sort of a land management agreement model, mm -hmm. where we team up with third parties, that landowners. Right, imagine you have a piece of land that you right. don't necessarily know what to do with it. Well, yeah. we can make a deal together where we just need to secure the the long term usage of that ground, so that right. in twenty years you don't change your mind or your children or whoever inherits it, change the share their mind. We have to secure that is our commitment to our clients. That right. Once we start a project, we aim for permanent forest coverage, right? So there won't be, there will always be that thriving forest there. So we need right. to secure that obviously legally, but uh, then there's a sort of a profit sharing so that it's also interesting for you. And then we run the model on your land, right? So that is a model that enables us to scale and have more opportunities throughout uh, our targeted market. So if anyone out there has uh, a land that is misused or, or don't or, or that they want at least to, to have a positive uh, impact with, uh, still owning it and, and having a sort of general revenue stream, reach out to us. We'd be happy to, to discuss it. It's super interesting because, uh, as you explained, there is a lot of tech IP that can use to to be able to make the business model work better and to provide a better experience also to the tree owners uh, and to the customers. Uh, and the business model itself also has a lot of innovation. But uh, I like also the inspiration on the on 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 stuff that has been here for a very long time. Right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at well, this the inspiration I mentioned about this financial you know, uh, method uh, with the, the recycling system using uh, Mother Nature's right. technology or using an old <laughs> article from 200 years ago. Again, I think, and that's a valuable lesson, I believe, for, for everyone out there. Being creative and being innovative doesn't necessarily mean reinventing the wheel. Uh, at least it hasn't right. worked that way for us. Exactly. And um, and this is a, a category that is growing super quickly, and we know why it is growing so much. Uh, we really need to solve a lot of those these big problems. 
how has been your experience so far raising money on on this category and what has been the the main lessons so far maybe you can share a bit your journey in terms of you, you shared yeah. in the beginning but and but uh, a little bit uh, more. It's, it's been a, it's been a very positive journey uh in, in different ways um first of all i think it's because we've um we have anticipated uh, enough the 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 the, the fundraising uh, you know milestones. I always remember something my father told me, which is like uh, bankers or investors. It's like the dentist; you need to go before it hurts. Um, <laughs> wow! So <laughs> that's a very very wise one. I can tell you that. So we've been, I guess, smart enough to to always you know engage in in, in fundraising discussions before we were like. You know, uh, knife under the throat, or close to be to be you know cashed cashed out. Um, so that means that we have been able to have very we have the luxury to be somehow picky on about uh, on mm -hmm. who we wanted to have on board. Uh, so that is definitely a recommendation I can I can give to to any startup or entrepreneur out there. Mm -hmm. Secure your cash, cash is king, uh, and do that with a lot of anticipation, especially what's for sure and that maybe here in our case the fact that we actually for five co-founders is an asset because it is super time consuming to do fundraising uh, right um, uh, it's uh, dozens and dozens of meetings and, and, and virtual and all that so it, it there's the risk uh, it's well known huh? but there's definitely a risk of defocusing the management you know from the from the business from growing the business if you spend too much time on trying to get investors so at, some, at the end of the day you risk having no business anymore um i'm simplifying a bit but uh, i think th there have been a lot of examples there so also make sure not to defocus or to uh, have the proper allocation right. of your time and resources and well for us in, in our field sustainability uh, or environmental friendly solutions clearly uh, have a sort of a good momentum um <clears throat> You've seen uh, well. It's not the, yeah the whole the whole crypto you know web three as well, but that one is kind of let's say you know, shaked a bit recently. Um, the environmental one, I think, has definitely if, if, uh, as a as a business field has clearly I think uh, a major uh, yeah perspective ahead. Well, I wish it was not the case because that means it's because we have an issue that we need <laughs> that we need to fix. Um, so I wish it wasn't that much of a thing, but it is. So from a purely business and entrepreneurship perspective, I think it's a great um, it's a great field, and there is still a good momentum in this field particularly. Mm -hmm. um, and then for us, I think what was interesting in the, in the, especially in the last round, um, where we would expect classic VC to join uh, and even like yeah. impact VC, you have more and more of those uh, out there on the market. Right. We ended up as lead investor with a, a CVC, so a corporate fund, mm -hmm. French bank. Um, so Stégenal, I'm happy to name them. They are a great partner. Um, and it, what was interesting for them, it, it, so it was interesting to see that they you know, unlike more classic VC, who well, obviously will expect uh, quite a strong return in a short period of time, we could sense that they were definitely with us on the long run because, well, they obviously also here for a return on their investment, obviously, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, they know what this right. means, being a bank, a financial institution. But I mean, <laughs> ultimately, their primary motivation was to, you know, use our solution for their own portfolio or private or primarily right. corporate customers. So 
there was a quite natural alignment of our long-term perspective. I mean, we are mm -hmm. obviously working with nature. So as I mentioned, it's long-term yeah. perspective. So that was, it was great to have this alignment between them as investor uh, and, 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 and us and our business roadmap. And that works as well for previous or existing uh, uh, investors, but it was great on that round to be able to align. So maybe a piece of advice as well, make sure you align somehow with your own business you know, uh, roadmap and an ambition with the investors you're getting on board. Uh, yeah, otherwise it can quickly become quite shaky. That's an interesting reflection about what you should consider in a climate tech venture, more if impact VCs or fin pure financial VCs or strategic or corporate uh, VCs or CBCs, right? Uh, I think that that's a great example. So you had kind of a combination more of uh, impact VCs and corporate VCs, or also pure financial VCs in, in your uh, well, in your in, so initially, initially, we started looking for more classic VCs, or at least impact yeah. VCs that would that would have been an obvious preferred area, a preferred profile of, of VCs. Yeah. But and we ended up uh, even like shortlisted two CBCs, and and then it became quite natural that and also to be pretty. Um, uh, bold about this this point or transparent, but VCs, classic VCs, have some difficulties to value companies like ours or companies right. in in the environmental field because well, first you don't have as we don't have the track record that you have for more classic startup fields like fintechs, for example, um, yeah. and and the scalability is not the one that, as I mentioned before, that you can expect for more classic SaaS. Right. business. So the, the the ultimate, the current and ultimate valuation of a company like ours or for startups in our field is, I, would, I think, more tricky than, than it used to be uh, or than it is for other fields. Uh, and here, a CBC or corporate firm, well, again, they are not so much here for the return or looking at the future valuation of your company. They're here because they're, they're here for the synergies, because they know throughout right. the journey, they will benefit from your solution. Uh, so in a way, they, 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 what they do is I think they buy you, they buy themselves an, an access to your solution at a preferred price ultimately, right. rather than trying to get a, a a crazy return that would be difficult to evaluate for them. Right. That that was sort of our analysis, and but honestly, we haven't expected that. That's something we we came you know discovered or came up with throughout the process. So becomes became smarter throughout the process as usual. It's very interesting. Also, be part of their CSR uh, activities, right? Uh, exactly. The impact that they are having, and we know nowadays it's becoming. It has started for corporates, but it's becoming more and more important, uh, especially with the uh, net zero trends. What are the initiatives that those large corporates are doing in order to reduce their carbon footprint or uh, having a zero, a net zero uh, carbon footprint? Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because we, we really so we're not that old, obviously, right? Uh, but even since twenty sixteen and, and our at the start of our operations, we've really seen a quite a major switch on how corporates uh, approach sustainability, uh, and it it has been from a nice to have clearly to a must have. So now whether they like it, whether they do it because they they want it or because they do it because they have to. Either way, we, we sense now that's why there's such a strong yeah. momentum. It, and it's even on the regulatory aspect right now. Uh, the CSRD uh, directive, uh, directive about, about extra mm -hmm. financial reporting, 
starting with the bigger corporations, but will naturally, you know, cascade down to to smaller entities. And right. yeah, it would no, in no time everyone would literally have to take that into consideration as a strategic imperative and not just a nice to have it as it may have been in the past. Right. And uh, something super interesting that you said is the company was founded by five uh, co-founders. I know that's the the size of the team around it's around 100 people uh, already. Uh, and I think that for the ones who are listening, it's, it's also interesting to know more about about that story because it's it's very unusual. Typically, we have the two free uh, member founding team uh, structure. So how did you end up being five? Uh, co-founders and how do you split responsibilities uh, across the yeah, founding team? It, it is indeed a, I guess, yeah, fairly original um, uh, setup, you could say. Um, but it, well, it came quite naturally um, in the in the sense that it was a good timing, a good alignment of planet for the different ones at that time. Um, and uh, and I think the most important part is actually the complementarity of our profiles. Uh, it, that's usually the way it works with co-founders. But if you look at what we do, I mean, we have, even though we are 100 teammates, right, and uh, mm -hmm. we still have a lot of experience. I mean, we're not like a law firm where 90% of, the, of the, the teammates are lawyers or an engineer firm or a tech firm, right? Where you have like the developers or, you know, we have among 100 people, we have like literally as a forestry people, obviously, mm -hmm. a great deal of them. Uh, we have legal expertise, we have financial expertise, we have tech expertise, we have sales and marketing expertise. I mean, so we have a, a great deal of expertise to run a, a, a business model like ours. Right. And and that's reflected in a way, that's why you need like about four or five co-founders to somehow have and lead the, the, the those different uh, expertises in-house, right? Um, right? So I think that complementarity has been, uh, has been key, uh, but has definitely been mandatory considering again the the wide area of expertise that we cover doing what we do yeah and have you been growing the ad count slowly or did you see any kind of uh, aggressive growth in terms of ad count in the in the last years uh well no yeah i think last year uh both in anticipation and then mm -hmm. after the, the 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 series b fundraising uh so we, throughout year 2022 uh that's where we've seen most of the of the growth um in terms of you know, uh, yeah right, there's been a bit more than doubling up with, throughout that year yeah. which is a which is a challenge obviously of course as well right to yeah uh to we could have an episode too fast exactly and just about it <laughs> we, we've made actually an interesting switch organizational switch throughout that process moving from having the french entity the sort of the mother main domestic home market and then the international entities with the new markets mm -hmm. uh, where we end up somehow you know a bit duplicating uh right. resources and, and and expertises we've last summer have sort of you know turned the matrix down and uh organized now by business units so market and sales product and innovation, business administration, communication, tech, and they run throughout the whole organization, whether you're sitting in Copenhagen in charge of uh, I don't know, the, the, the Scandinavian markets or whether you are sitting in Paris. So it's, we have, yeah, it's now a much more cross-standardized, harmonized and cross-country organization per business unit and not per markets anymore. And this has Got been an, an important, but I think quite a vital switch uh, a couple of months ago. Got it. And it's interesting, we could already also do a deep dive on that, right? Because sometimes when when you are a small organization, the squad might work 
better for everyone to be aligned. But at a certain point, you need to start having kind of some economies of scale and having some policies around the functions to help the company proceed. And then maybe a little bit later, you will have a crisis that maybe you can, you need to go back to squats in order to make the, the organization more agile. So which oh. is kind of curious, right? <laughs> it's kind of or, almost an organizational design uh, discipline uh, that is super yeah. important. Yeah, and, and I don't think there's a, any perfect you know, scheme right. or scenario that works all, all the time. But uh, for us, it, it became quite obvious that this was the best way to, to move forward. And it is always the trick when you try to internationalize your activities, where to put yeah. the cursor between duplicating what works, right? And, and obviously uh, scaling and, 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 and having a company of scales on what you do mm-hmm. or the way you operate, but still give some room to uh, the local specificities of a market, right? Yeah. Um, and that is uh, definitely even for, well, for us, like for any, everyone out there, I think uh, the, the most the difficult challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go to the last segment of the show, uh, Thomas, uh, where we do your ping pong of uh, quick questions and answers. So if you'd had the opportunity to meet yourself for, for the coffee in 2016, when you started Ecotree, what advice would you offer to your younger Thomas? Um, I think I would... I would tell him not to be afraid of mistakes. Um, I think I'm sort of a perfectionist guy. So I I love this mindset of, you know, trying to gather the best resources um, and come up with the best solution possible. Um, That's, I think, my natural inclination. And uh, I've learned, and I would definitely tell myself, uh, to my younger self, uh, it's okay to, you know, don't... rather do with minimal resources and come up with a minimum viable product, the MVP as it's called, uh, and build from them, test and learn, instead of trying to come up with a perfect solution upfront, right? Um, I think that would be the best piece of advice I could give myself. I've learned it the hard way. <laughs> Love it. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Um, I think it's it's the the enthusiasm that we get around what we do whether it's within the the our teammates uh, or customers um when i see my my you know my my teammates every day uh, or when i we on site with our customers that sometimes come and help do some planting uh, days with us that excitement that that passion uh being able to share that passion that we obviously have but that we should be able to share it i think that's the greatest part of it that's what's you know makes me wake up and go to work with a smile every day yeah, and you can see that uh, everyone that connects with this movement gets excited about it. Of course, even even myself. And you could also see, kind of, I'm not kind of journalist, but uh, the press was also yeah. interested to to cover the story. So I think that everyone yeah. connects in a certain way, and, and that is great, right? So because you, you feel part of a much bigger movement, uh, not only customers and employees, but almost all stakeholders. Worst advice ever received. Uh, wait a bit um, so uh, again back to what I said a bit <laughs> before wait for the perfect moment there's never a perfect moment mm-hmm. oh you, you didn't you just keep waiting all the time I think at some point you have to just you know, dare and, and do it and whatever comes out you'll, you'll handle it you'll be fine exactly and, and get the feedback and learn from the feedback exactly so just don't wait exactly and, and finally, the resources, your favorite book, uh, business or non-business, you decide. 
Yeah, no, it's an business one. It's, it's, it's a French one. It's called La Panthère des Neiges. So the, the, the snow panther uh, mm-hmm. from a great French author, Sylvain Tesson. And it's, it's an interesting book because uh, I'm not a big reader, to be honest, I'll admit. And this one is literally all about that guy that goes and try to ambush this, uh, just to see her, the, the, the famous snow panther, who's obviously a very rare animal in, in Central Asia. So, and the book is just about basically his waiting of to see, possibly see that animal. So it, it looks like for me, the, like the possible most possible boring book ever. But <laughs> beside the fact that it's absolutely beautifully written, I, I really like the idea of the ambush or you know the lookout. And, mm-hmm. and as he suggests throughout the, this book, I have tried to practice that in my day, every day life. You know, you st- we, we in, a, in, a, in an epoch where every three seconds that we have, we, we rush to our phone to, to address, you know, we just but, don't accept to have this the mind, you know, floating. And what he learned me, I think, through this book, and I'm very grateful for that, was to, to take those moments, whenever you queue in a, in a restaurant or a shop or, or, or wherever, mm-hmm. to take those moments to try to, like an ambush or someone for the look, uh, for the lookout, try to spot yeah. the things that you wouldn't have seen. And this little game with myself, I think, has become sort of habit, and I, I love that. And I'm very grateful for that book to have given me that opportunity. If, if the eyes of a baby uh, always read, uh, always seeing things for the first time. Yeah. Your favorite movie or series? Uh, well, my favorite movie is, is Interstellar uh, from Nolan. Uh, I guess everyone's familiar with this one. I think it's just a fantastic, fantastically made. And, and it, it's really a film where I remember when I came out of this, I was like, Woof. I needed like half an hour just to come back to Earth, literally. <laughs> uh, so I think it's one of the movies that got my mind like so far away. I had to you know, <laughs> put it back. Uh, the way it plays with time and and also the the loved ones is like oh, being a father of three. I mean, it, it touches so many, it puts so many crazy strings in my mind that that's I think that's my favorite movie. So I've seen it uh, quite a few times. Amazing. And finally, your favorite podcast, uh, excluding this one. Yeah, beside this one, right? <laughs> um, no, I, I think it's it's also a French one. Um, uh, sorry for my Frenchness, but it's called C'est dans It's a political daily podcast. And what I like is that they gather a bunch of experts around the table for an hour, so it's fairly long. Uh, but I, I literally listen to it every day. And, and they sort of try to decrypt uh, you know, something happening in the news. Not, not necessarily the top news, but something that yeah. is obviously happening these days. And you know, when there's so much nows out there, and again, back to what I said, so much, you know, need an answer right now. It's so simple, so much simplifying. I love having to take experts taking in a gentle, smart, intelligent way, taking one hour to deep dive into something uh, that I feel makes me makes me smarter. So I, I love that one. Great one. Could you repeat the, the name of, of the podcast? C'est dans l'air. It means it's in the air. Got it. Just for, for the ones who yeah. are also able to speak French. Yeah, it's in French. Uh, Sorry it, for that. It, uh, <laughs> that's why we also have a French audience. Uh, and even the ones who are not French who speak French. So, <laughs> so it can be also interesting to them. Uh, Thomas, thanks so much for making the time. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, all the best for the upcoming chapters. Uh, and Again, may the forest be with you. <laughs> thank you so much indeed. May the forest be with us and be with you. <laughs> and to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company. See you soon and keep scaling. <laughs>